I told our staff we always have a meeting on Sunday morning. I told them this morning I was going to preach about troubles. And Dr. Laidlaw says, well, I hope you can get us out of it. <laughs> so I'm going to try and do that uh, today. If you have your Bible, we're in John 14, verse 1. Our text is, let not your heart be troubled. The Lord Jesus is speaking in the text today. He's talking to each one of us. He was talking to his disciples in that particular instance, but these words have come down over the generations, and he's speaking to each one of our hearts today, our individual hearts. And he says to us, let not your heart, your heart, be troubled. I want to ask you this morning, is your heart troubled? You know, as we kind of look at our life, uh, we look at this area and that area and the other area of our life, as we think about all the things that uh, we deal with each week and all the situations and all the family issues and all the financial issues and all the health issues and all these things, is your heart troubled today? Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. But we're human, aren't we? And we have some troubles that we have to deal with. How are we doing as a society? You know, that troubles me. Some of the areas of our society really, uh, really bothers me. And it's troubling, uh, kind of the way our country is going. Now, there's a lot of wonderful things. We have a lot of great things that are happening. Our, our church is doing so well. There's a great spirit. The building's uh, continuing to go up and to be finished, and the doors are the next thing that's coming on, and uh, it's exciting. Every day I go out there and walk around. I smile and wave at the guys and tell them to hurry up. <laughs> we have a lot of wonderful friends. I know some of you that are here this morning, all of your best friends are right here uh, today. Uh, I have been so fortunate over these years to make a lot of dear, dear friends in this uh, church family. You've been kind and gracious uh, to me, and I really appreciate it, and I love you, and I want you to know that. But I am deeply troubled about our society. Uh, immorality is on the rise, you know that. Our singles uh, tell me, and of course you read it in the magazines and you see things about it on TV, that in the date life in America today, it's uh, the second or third date, uh, one or the other is expecting to, to go home with you, to spend the night with you. Uh, that's just the rule of thumb today. Uh, that didn't used to be that way, but evidently uh, that's the way it is today. Um, perversion is rampant in our society, you know that. It's accepted by a majority of Americans. Uh, people are saying basically, well, you do whatever you want to do, just, just leave me alone, leave me out of it. I don't want anything to do with that. Well, the problem is that our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren, they see that and they think that that is normal. They think that's okay because society is treating it uh, like it's okay. Well, 
There's other issues. Uh, The government is uh, sending out uh, checks uh, to half of the people in America, supporting them. Uh, Some of those folks could get a job, but they don't want to. They don't want a job. They want to just sit at home and get a check. Well, people that get free money are going to vote for people that will give them more free money. And the problem, of course, uh, just keeps getting worse. All of that uh, works pretty well until you run out of other people's money. And uh, then, you know, like Greece, there is a day of reckoning. And, of course, that day is coming in America if we don't radically change some of the things that we're doing. There will be riots. There will be murders. uh, There will be chaos. Has there been in all of these countries that are facing the same issue that we're uh, moving toward? You say, well, you know, this has been a pretty good week for me, preacher. I I don't know of any problems that I've been having this week. I don't know of any troubles. Well, God bless you. I'm I'm happy for you. I hope uh, you're not on Medicaid or Medicare because those are running out. And uh, there's going to come a day when they're going to send us a letter and say, sorry, but uh, that's over. Well, how about uh, your grandchildren? How about the world that they're going to live in? Do we have troubles? We certainly do, don't we? In our text, the conversation between Jesus and his disciples took place before the cross. In a short time, the disciples' world would be turned upside down and they would be in utter chaos, not knowing whether they were going to be crucified, not knowing if they were going to be killed. At such a time, there's only one thing uh, to do. You know, they seriously and stubbornly held on to their trust in God. And when troubles assail us, that's what we need to do. That's the direction that we need to turn. We need to turn toward the Lord who has walked with us and loves us and has stood by us through all the things of our lives. And he'll be there for us during the time of difficulty. There comes a time of trouble, a time when we have to believe what we cannot prove, to accept what we cannot understand. Even in the darkest hour of trouble today, We believe that somehow we are supposed to be loving people. That's what Christians do. That's what we've done down through the ages. We have reached out to others that were having a hard time and helped to pick them up, helped to walk with them and talk with them and befriend them, helped them up when they're beside the road, fallen down, beaten up, uh, whatever has happened. With hope and love in Jesus even the most unbearable things become bearable. And even in the darkness, there is still a glimmer of light. But Jesus adds something to the first part of that verse. He says, let not your heart be troubled. Ye believed in God. He makes that statement. You have believed in God. And then he says, believe in me. 
In Jesus, we see the very picture of God. People say, well, what is God like? Well, you know a lot about Jesus. A lot has been written about him. A lot has been put forward about how he acted, how he responded, how he loved, how he died, how he did all of these things. As we see Jesus, we in some ways see the Father. Then our heart may be troubled and and things may not be easy, but Jesus is always close by. It is then, it is then possible to accept even what we cannot understand. And even in the storms of life, retain a faith which will lift us up, as it did the disciples during those days, and how it has done the same thing for disciples down through all of these ages. Troubles for your heart are coming. We all know that. When you get to the age that we are, you realize that uh, there are going to be some difficult things that are going to happen, and we have to deal with them. Maybe your troubles are domestic. Slightly over half of the marriages in America will fail. That's what all the uh, authors are saying. Sundays, oddly enough, are the worst day of the week for family relations. You say, well, these, that's always been the best day for me. It was on Sundays. Well, we're in church. But, you know, if, if you go house to house... What percentage of the people do you think in Sun City Center and our surrounding area here, what percentage of the people do you think are in church? A lot of the people are not in church. On Sundays, we gather and we pray to the Father and we sing the great hymns of the faith and we try as best we can to open the Word of God and and to take from it a message for our hearts that will help us and guide us when the time of trouble does come. People are thrown together on Sundays. Hostilities quickly become evident. There are family fights. There are irritations as people get on each other's nerves. Did you know that there are more suicides and more crimes of passion on Sunday than any other day of the week? Here, the Christians are happy. You know, today our hearts are lifted up as we hear these great hymns, as we pray together, as we study God's Word. Our hearts are lifted up. But a lot of folks aren't here. And Sunday is a very, very difficult day for them. There's also trouble in the area of literature today. I'm sure that many of you read uh, a lot of books, a lot of novels. It seems like today the folks that are writing the novels feel like they have to put a few curse words in there and a a few sleazy sex situations in order to sell the books. They have a great book. They don't really need to put all that in, but they are told by somebody, you got to have a little of that in there uh, to spice it up, and so they put it in. When I was in seminary, a guy named Jean Paul Sartre and another fellow named Albert Camus uh, were the leading writers in the theological area. Uh, These two guys were uh, folks that wrote books that were pretty hard to understand, 
But many in the general populace began to buy their books. And the gist of their books uh, was this. They said that we have nothing to look forward to but despair and anxiety and anguish. That was the message. That's what they said. They said that is what is coming. That was our projected future. The main books were No Exit, Nausea, and The Stranger. And millions of people read those books. Today, we have great trouble in drama. I don't know how many of you go to New York City regularly. Uh, I have some friends that go up there numerous times during the year. They say that many of the plays have a lot of naked people running around. Uh, they have a lot of torture in them. They have a lot of sexual perversion in them. I was a university chaplain at Southern Methodist University for about three years, a long time ago. It was during the very worst part of the Vietnam War. And during those days, uh, some of the kids came into my office and they said, uh, you know, the, the drama department has come out with a new play, and it is just great. It's just a great play. It's, just, it's the best play they have ever put on. And I had a number of kids tell me that. And so I thought, well, gee, I don't want to miss the best play that ever was. So uh, I got a ticket, and I went. Uh, the storyline was this. Uh, all of the sewer lines in America were backed up. And all of the crops had died. And disease was rampant all over America. And finally, there were only three men left alive in all of America. These three men were standing on top of a hill. And the sewage was rising around them every day. And it was obvious that uh, they just had a few more days to live. Uh, one of the men was a, uh, a warrior, a soldier. Another one of the men was a teacher. And the third man, you knew this was coming, was a minister. <laughs> All three of the men were contemplating death. All three of the men were thinking about suicide. They knew they were going to die in just a few days, and that, so they were thinking about suicide. Uh, their conversations were all focusing around the meaning of life and, and what it's all about and all that. Finally, in the second act of this three-act play, uh, the soldier said, Well, there are no more battles for me to fight. And so he dove in and uh, took his life, died. About two hours later, uh, the teacher said, well, there's nobody else for me to teach. And so he takes his life. He dives in, and he's gone. After a few more hours, the minister said, well, there's nobody left for me to minister to. And he said a prayer, and then he dove in, ending his life. And the curtain closed. The second act was over. Well, in a few minutes, of course, the curtain opened for the third act. All three of the actors in the play were dead. And so here is this mound of dirt on the stage, supposedly the top of a mountain. 
And we sat there for 15 minutes and looked at this pile of dirt. And I thought to myself, this is the worst play that has ever been written in the history of mankind. This is terrible. This is unbelievably bad. And, and I noticed nobody was leaving. Everybody was sitting there. And so finally, thank the Lord, they closed the screen and the play was over. Well, guess what? People all over that room stood up and cheered wildly. Just like that was the most insightful, uh, important, significant play that had ever been written. Well, you know, I just thought, well, that's, uh, that's how sick our society is. The drama world today is worse than that. You know, if you go to New York, if you see some of the plays, you wouldn't believe what is said and done. Today, we have a great deal of trouble theologically. Our younger generation has had pounded into their heads that all science is right and all the Bible stuff is wrong. For the last 30 years, students have been taught that history contradicts the Bible and that human nature itself is contrary to biblical revelation. Academia is not helping us. I know that there are some Christian professors, but they are in the vast minority in the universities across our country. Many Christians, uh, deep in their hearts, know the agony of troubling doubts. They have doubts. Some Christians today are afraid to look at the literature of modern philosophy or psychology or science for fear that what they might read might continue to hurt their faith. We all know that you cannot believe in your heart what you have rejected intellectually. You say, well, okay, Maybe we do have a few problems. How do I relate my troubles, they would say, to these words of Jesus? Let not your heart be troubled. The ultimate troubles of life are not financial. They are not sociological. They are not legal. They are not physical. They have something to do with a cell phone. I just added that. <laughs> the troubles that we're having can be answered by the Word of God. We need eternal wisdom to live today. Not uh, some wisdom that is faddish, some wisdom that is just kind of moving around the world, and after it goes around a couple times, it'll be gone. We need eternal wisdom to face the issues uh, that are before us. There are three things that you need to know if you're going to get help to soothe the troubles of your heart. Number one, 
you need to understand yesterday. Take a close look again at the manger, the Christian child, the virgin-born Messiah. Understand theologically who his father is. You've got to get that. You've got to understand that. You've got to put that into your belief system. Secondly, you need to take another look at the cross. Here is the Son of God, the Savior of mankind, the innocent dying for the sinful. The physical pain was horrible. The crown of thorns that they pressed down into his brow the spikes that they drove through his hands and through his feet. It was horrible. But the spiritual pain was a million times worse. For there on that cross that day, he died for your grandparents' sins, for your parents' sins, for your sins, and for my sins, for our children's sins. For our grandchildren's sins. For our great-grandchildren's sins. He died for all of that in one place, in one time. The pain that was there was unbelievable. Yet he suffered it for you and for me. Thirdly, take again a close look at the resurrection. He was dead. Then he was alive by the power of God. You know, that's so hard to believe. Here Jesus was out teaching and preaching and healing and doing all these wonderful, wonderful things. And the Pharisees, the scribes, they were so against him. They stirred up the people against him. They stirred up the Roman authorities. And finally, finally they got him. They reached out and took him, and they went through those mock trials, and they beat him, and they scourged him, and then they crucified him, and then he died. He died. No question about it. He was dead. And then he's alive again. Praise God. He is alive again. We need to look at him. Again, through the eyes of Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Jesus, they saw the resurrected Lord by the tomb. This is the Easter message. We gather together every year to to tell this story because it's a great story. And without it, Christianity means nothing. Without it, there's no reason for us to meet today. But it happened. He was alive again. He appeared to the two on the road to Emmaus. I love the conversation that they had. I'm sure you've read that, remember that. They didn't know who was walking along with them. And all of a sudden, it came time for the breaking of the bread. And they realized it was the Lord. And they turned and went back into the town and said, He is alive. And surely enough, he was. And then to James, the Lord appeared. And then to the apostle Peter. And then to the disciples without Thomas. And then to the disciples with Thomas. And then to 500 at one time. 
you know, one of the things that you have to do as you go to seminaries, you have to be uh, well-read on all the different theories about the resurrection. And, of course, some of the heathens say he was just in a swoon. He wasn't really dead. You know, when you stab somebody in the side, uh, they're dead. The Romans knew when somebody was dead. They did this every day. They, they understood it. They, they knew what that was all about. He was dead. No question about that. There were 500 there. They knew he was dead. No question about that. And now, all of a sudden, he is standing right in front of them. And they say, can this possibly be? And so they go up and they touch him. And they listen to him speak. And he, he takes food and he eats it. He's alive. And they all know it. Now there's all sorts of things that people say. They say, well, they were all hypnotized. Or they all took some uh, hallucinatory drug. Or they all had, the, they all did. No. He was dead. And then he was alive. And everybody there knew it. And they went back and they told their family and they told their friends and they told their neighbors and they told everybody that they came into contact with. He's alive. And then all the disciples were saying, he's alive. Some years passed and he appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. And as he was there, as he encountered the Savior, Paul's life was changed. The course of history was changed. He went west instead of east. And the western world, as you know, has followed and has grown from those missionary journeys. Christian America today is, is an answer to, in response to the life and ministry of Paul. He turned our way. He helped us. He saw that we were saved. And certainly it happened. When all of these people saw the resurrected Lord, it changed their lives forever. The disciples at first, as you know, were a huddling mass in an upper room, and they were scared to death. Are we going to get crucified next? Are they going to just stick us with a, a sword? Are we going to die right here today? They were scared to death. And then Jesus appeared in the room fire of the Holy Spirit was there. And things happened. And they knew that he was alive. He was alive. And then they went out and they changed the world. Just a handful of people. Just a handful. Not as many people are sitting in that section right over there. Just a handful of people went out and changed the whole world. Yes, they had had some troubles, but they stayed close to Jesus. And then when he appeared in their midst, they were empowered with the power from on high. And they went out and they turned the world upside down. They became tigers for Jesus. They were afraid of nothing. They walked out of the door telling the story of Jesus to whomever would listen. Let not your heart be troubled. Because you know about the baby. You know about the cross. And you know about the resurrection. You know 
that Jesus lives today. Hundreds of millions of people have heard the story, have believed, have changed the direction of their life, have changed their destiny, and now are in the loving arms of the Lord in glory. We know that this has happened because it's happened to folks in our family that have gone on to be with him. He lives. Let not your heart be troubled because you can meet him and you can claim him as your Lord and Savior. And you can be a part of his family, a part of his church, a part of his ministry. Let not your heart be troubled. Jesus is here with us today and he loves you. And if there's a single person in the house that has never trusted and believed in Christ as your Lord and Savior, let it be done today. Today, let this be the day when you put all that behind you and you place your faith and your trust in him. If you're here in the house today, you need a church home, a place where you would be loved and cared for and visited and and you would make some close dear dear friends then come today and join with us and be a part of our family if you have other spiritual decisions that you'd like to make just come up and kneel here at the front there's room for you we're going to sing a hymn of invitation i'm going to stand down at the front and if there's anybody in the house that would like to make any kind of a spiritual decision that would bring honor and glory to jesus then you just slip out and slip forward and take a stand for him. Let's stand as we sing together.